Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. Believer's Church, how are we doing this morning? You're looking good? Looking excited to be in God's house? Yeah. Hey, if you're new here, my name is Joe, and I get to serve on our lead team, and I get to have some fun today as we continue in this series called What Jesus Hates About Church. This has been really fun for me. Pastor Joe has been doing an amazing job. And you know, it's interesting to me when I look at our society and how it's evolved over the last 10 or 15 years with the internet and social media and all of these different things, it's crazy to me how we have become a review culture. You know, it used to be that if you went to a restaurant back in the archaic times of the 90s and early 2000s or a retail store and you had a good experience or a bad experience, there wasn't much you could do aside from through word of mouth telling some of your closest friends and your family, hey, you should go to this restaurant, it's really good, or hey, you shouldn't go to this restaurant, it's really awful, or whatever, whatever it would look like. And it's crazy because now with the power of our smartphones and, and from, from our computers, I mean, we can do some serious damage based on how we review things. I mean, we will review anything in our culture, right? Like, if we could, we would review a doorknob. We would rate it one to five. We really would. It turns really well. It feels good in the hand. I mean, it's crazy because now, like, we'll even review reviews. Think about this. Like, if you review something on a site, they ask you the question, was this review helpful? Rate it one to five. Like, we rate our ratings. What's wrong with us as a society? And we love it because it's empowering. And we're like, yeah, I get to share how I feel, and this might impact somebody. And and I got to be honest, whenever I get ready to go to a restaurant, I never go to a new restaurant without like yelping it or going to TripAdvisor. I Google that baby and I want to see what do people think about it? What's the review? Now, I actually stumbled onto an interesting review. This is like a real review from the site TripAdvisor. And uh, if you're going to write a review and you want it to stand out amongst hundreds of other reviews, you got to have a catchy heading. And they did just that. Here's what they said. Reality doesn't match reputation. That's interesting to me. So I'm just going to read to you an excerpt of what they said. So here's, here's an actual person had an actual experience with a real restaurant. They said, we have rarely been let down by TripAdvisor reviews, but Argentina Steakhouse just didn't live up to its reputation. We were there on a Friday evening, and the restaurant was only one-third to a half full, yet we were taken to a table in a dark corner next to the kitchen door. We asked for a better table and had to wait 10 minutes for a table that was almost certainly already set. We saw no diners leave while we were waiting. They go on to say that both of their steaks are raw, so that's usually a no-no at a steakhouse. And then listen to how they end. To make amends, the restaurant offered complimentary desserts and coffee, but it really was a gesture too late. A restaurant advertising itself as a steakhouse and using Argentina, air quotes, in its name really should be able to produce a decent steak, especially at the prices they charge. Ouch! And then they gave them a pretty low rating. And uh, it's interesting because if you look at the core of what this series is all about, here's kind of the premise. It's a question we're asking. Hey, what if Jesus Christ in the flesh came to Believer's Church this weekend. Like, bear with me. I, I know that God is everywhere. I know that he's omnipresent. I know that the Holy Spirit lives inside your heart if you're a Christ follower. But can you just imagine with me for a minute if Jesus walked into our parking lot, walked into our lobby, was greeted by our guest services team, 
He probably walked by the coffee and head straight to the water fountain. It would come out water. It would land in his mouth wine. I'm just speculating, but I figure that's probably what would happen. And if it's a baptism weekend, it'd be kind of weird because he'd be trying to baptize people. He wouldn't be able to get in the tub. He'd just be walking right over the water. I mean, I, I don't know. It'd just be kind of different. And when we go to worship, we wouldn't know which way to face. Where, wherever Jesus stood in the room, I'm pretty sure we'd be facing him, and uh, we'd be on our face in front of him. And if I'm preaching that weekend, I'm like, no, Jesus, you got it. I'm good. I'll preach next weekend. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm not about to preach in front of Jesus. And here's, here's the crazy thing. Like, think about this. What if Jesus yelped us? Like, like, what if he went online and, like, wrote a review about Believer's Church? How intimidating would that be? How, how sobering would that be? But listen, this is actually something that happened for real with seven real churches. And this is in the book of Revelation. This is what this series is built on, are these seven real churches. Jesus has seen them and what they're doing. He's given them a review. And some of them get rave reviews, and some of them, like this church today, Sardis, who's also known as the Sleeping Church, they don't hear what they want to hear from Jesus. Let's, let's pick up and, and read what he says. Revelation 3, verse 1. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. I know all the things you do, and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. That sounds really similar to that review we just read. It's like, man, reality doesn't match reputation. You say you're one thing. You have all the things going for you well on the outside. But when I strip back the outward layers and I look at the thoughts and intents of your heart, I'm not real impressed with what I see inside. Reality doesn't match reputation. And uh, if we could kind of maybe boil it down in one statement, I would say that Jesus is saying Sardis has style, but they don't have substance. And Jesus, man, this is, this is important to him. When, when he talks to people throughout the course of his ministry, he says very similar things to some other groups. Now, this is speaking to people that really aren't Christ followers. Uh, they're religious, but they don't have a relationship with God in Matthew 23, 27. Let's see if this sounds familiar. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Here's a strong word. Hypocrites. For you... You are like whitewashed tombs. You're beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Ouch. Not a great review. Kind of like what he's saying is, hey, you have some hollow holiness. You, you look the part, but your heart is not in the right place. And I got to just wonder as a pastor and as somebody that has given my life to try to change and touch other people with the life of God, I highly doubt that the pastor that started Sardis set out with this as his goal. Like, yeah, you know, I want to plan a life-giving church. We want to have really great children's ministry, a really awesome band that leads people in worship. And I want Jesus to tell me that I'm dead inside. You know what I mean? Like, that's not probably what they set out to do. But just like any of us, I think they started out with all the right intentions. I think they started out with their hearts in the right place. But if we're not careful, there's just this gravitational pull back to that old us. And even just a little bit of a degree off of center, a degree off of what God's calling us to do can ultimately lead us off of course in our life. Now, I think it'd be helpful just to look at the city of Sardis. Sometimes the city can tell you a lot about the church. So Sardis was actually a very well-to-do community. They were in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and there was a gold rush. So like any gold rush community, they became the center of that region. All roads kind of led to Sardis. Now remember the Midas touch? 
that was actually originated in Sardis. They believed, you know, it was mythology. They believed that King Midas touched the river, and the riverbed had all these gold deposits. And so they were very wealthy. Actually, they perfected the minting of the coin because there was so much gold being produced in this city. So they had an amazing geographical location. It was a mountainous region, high up. There were these sloping rocks, and they were kind of like a fortress in the mountains. It was, it was seen as impenetrable as a city. So things are going really well. It's a center of innovation. All of these good things are happening. Now their king's name was Cressus. And Cressus, like any king, he put a lot of pride into what he had built. And he was pretty aggressive. And so there was a king not too far away in the kingdom of Persia, and his name is Cyrus. And they're, they're rivals. And so Cressus decides, I'm going to take the battle to him. And he attacks King Cyrus. But he has a much smaller army. He's wealthy, but he doesn't have that great of a military. And so they get routed. And the army of Persia pushes them back. And here's what they know. If we can retreat back to Sardis, they had a route back up the mountain to their fortress that no one else knew knew about. So opposing armies could never attack them because they didn't have a way in. But here's, here's what happened. It was kind of unfortunate. But they get back from the battle, and it's dusk, and they're walking up this mountain. They finally get there, but this one soldier drops his helmet down this secret path. And so the army of Persia has been waiting at the base of the mountain, and it's so dark that he doesn't even see that they're there. And so he leads them all the way back up the secret path in the mountain. And this is how secure Sardis was in the things that they had built, in the city and the empire that they had built with their wealth. They were sleeping. They weren't even concerned that the army that they had just confronted was going to come back to their home front. They were just sleeping. And you know what happened? The army of Persia snuck in following that soldier and slaughtered the entire city. This is crazy. And you know what's, what's even crazier? This happened several times throughout history in very similar fashion. This, this was just kind of their identity. And you know what was crazy? I was reading this, and I'm just thinking like, wow, the, the city of Sardis and the church of Sardis are guilty of the same thing. They, they've fallen asleep. And, and it's crazy because, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but in America, in our westernized way of thinking, it's easy sometimes to build and to take identity in the things that we have created and the innovations that we have. And, and don't, don't mishear me. I, I really believe that God wants us to be innovative. I believe that God loves excellence, and he loves facilities, and he loves that we're building uh, an amazing facility for the next generation. All of those things are great. It's not the innovation. It's the motivation. God looks at the thoughts and the intents of our heart. And listen, it's a lot easier for the enemy to attack you when you're sleeping. Can we agree on that? And so here's what the enemy knows. If I can kind of just get them lulled to sleep, and get their focus and their attention on all of the wrong things, then I can sneak in and I can wreak havoc on their life. So what do you say to somebody that's falling asleep? I would say there's a real simple thing you can say. Jesus says it in Revelation 3, 2. Uh, Here's what he says. Wake up! Strengthen. Don't you love Jesus, by the way? Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Now just time out real quick. Someday when we stand before God... Believers Church, Pastor Joe and Pastor Gina, the staff here, the volunteers here, every person that calls BC home, we will answer to God, and he will say, did you finish the work that I assigned for your church to do? That's a sobering thought. He's going to review us. He's going to ask us, did you do what I assigned you to do? And, and I, I hope and I pray, this, this is what drives my life, this is what drives Pastor Joe and Pastor Gina's life, that I will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, and I will not hear your deeds are unfinished. Now, I want you to hear the heart of God. He's warning them because he cares about them. Because he doesn't want that day to be a bad day. He wants it to be a day where they hear, well done, 
Now, here's what he says. He gives them a solution. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, hold it fast and repent. In other words, you're not too far gone yet. And all you have to do is you got to wake up. So I just want to talk for a few minutes this morning about how we can wake up. And more importantly, how do we stay awake and how do we live wide awake for God? And I want to give you three ways to do it. Here's the first one. You ready? I would write this down if you're taking notes. If you're not taking notes, I would write this down. Uh, Here's the first one. Turn the lights on. Turn the lights on. I don't know about you, but it's really hard for me to fall asleep when the lights are on. It's almost impossible to fall asleep in a bright room. And did you know something? God has called you as his kids to be children of the light. That's actually what he calls you. He's called us to live in the light because he is light. And he's the light in the life. And he loves to shine on things. And then get this, he's called us to be a city on a hill to shine his light to other people. And this is actually what he says about you and about himself. 1 John 1, 5. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. And I like that word practicing because here's the picture that is painting. You can get good at it. The more that you live in the light, the more that you see who God is and his character and his nature, the more it actually changes you to look just like him. Here's what he goes on to say. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, when we have fellowship with each other or community with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And remember, this verse is just a couple verses away from 1 John 1, 9, which famously says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So God's not exposing our sin just to embarrass us. He's exposing our sin so we can get our hearts in the right place. And he's always willing to forgive us. He's always willing to take us back out of the darkness and shine his light on our life. And so we just have to be in a place where we're willing to do that. And I don't know about you, but I think we do some dumb things in the dark. I don't know. When I look back at my life and some of the moments I'm least proud of, they happen after the sun went down. Can anybody relate to that? As a matter of fact, just on a natural level, uh, when, when I'm like hanging out in my house and it's dark, those are some moments where I've done some things that I just was not proud of. Um, stupid things. I'll give you an example. Um, you know, I, I've always thought of myself as pretty clean. Um, I grew up with an Italian mother, and she, she taught me how to clean. And uh, there was just one thing that kind of slid by as I was growing up. And when I met my wife, I found out real quick how dirty of a man I was because she was like, hey, I- I'm looking in your ears as we're driving. And um, when's the last time you cleaned those puppies? Like, I'm seeing things crawling around in there. And I'm like, I, I-, I don't know. Am I supposed to clean my, my ears regularly? I thought they kind of just fell out on its own. And it- she's like, yeah, you got-, you got to clean your ears. And I'm like, all right, show me your ways, woman. And so she, she gave me these Q-tips, and um, she has this thing that she did in, in, growing up, and I had never heard of it before, but she will actually, I don't know if any of you are weird like this, she'd lick them, and then she'd stick them. You know, she'd get in there, and it just helped help all the gunk to get on there. So like any good husband years later, I just started doing that, you know, <laughs> years later. No, I mean, I started doing it right then, but that was more accurate. So anyways, so a couple years later, hanging out this one morning, I'm getting ready. And I hear my wife ringing in my dirty ears, and she's like, you should clean those out. And so everybody's sleeping. I'm trying to be real quiet. I'm like tiptoeing through the house. It's pitch black. And I'm like, I don't remember where Q-tips are, but all of a sudden, it's like God smiled on me, and I saw two Q-tips like right on the counter. And so I grab them. It's pitch black. Put it in my mouth. And it didn't, 
it didn't have that cottony taste that I was used to. It tasted a little different. And so I turned the light on, and, and I had just ingested a huge glob of somebody's earwax, baby. And um, that was a whole there's a whole disagreement we had on, like, why was that not thrown away? Like, why? Can you pray for us? <laughs> now, I wish I could say that's the only time something weird's happening in the dark in our house, but um, my wife, my wife, God bless her. I love my wife. She's amazing. I'm just prefacing all of this by saying she's amazing. Um, Aaron doesn't eat Doritos. Aaron licks Doritos, okay? Because Doritos, when you eat them, have calories, but you can lick the Dorito dust, and apparently that does it for her. Now... I've never heard a guy say, yeah, I just licked the Doritos. <laughs> it's just never said no guy ever. And so, so she'll lick the Doritos and have this big pile there. And so one night, I'm, I'm super hungry. We're watching a movie. I walk into the room, and it's dark. And I'm like, oh, Doritos. And they're on this plate. And before I could think, I just pop in one Dorito after the other. And I'm like, babe, these off-brand Doritos, these, um, these don't taste the way. Is this a new flavor? And, and before... And, and she looks at me, and she's like, don't be mad. She's like, those are the Doritos that I licked. And I was like, no! What is wrong with you, woman? We got to work on our communication skills here. We do dumb things in the dark, okay? Here's the point, though. God wants us to live in the light. So Ephesians 5, 6 says it this way. So act like children of the light. Just turn to somebody and just say, act like it. Just with some attitude. Just say, come on, act like it act like children of the light. It's kind of like when we were kids and we would do something out of character. My mom and dad would be like, you're a Caminetti. Act like it. You know, like you, you know better. It's just like when you grow up in a certain house and you know what's expected of you, just all of a sudden your identity changes and you're like, man, light has a look. I, I look a little bit different than the world around me. Here's what it actually looks like. Verse nine, for the fruit of the light is all that is good and right and true. Verse 10, make it your aim to learn what pleases our Lord. Now, I started dating my wife, and uh, we were long distance, and so we'd talk a lot. And when I first met her, I just wanted to know everything about her. We'd be on the phone for hours, and and she'd be like, you hang up. And I'd be like, no, you hang up. And she'd be like, no, you hang up. Let's both hang up at the same time. And, you know, it was just disgusting. But but I, (laughs) I loved her so much, I wanted to know everything she liked. I wanted to learn what her favorite color was. I wanted to know her favorite TV show, her favorite food, her favorite type of ice cream. I mean, I just wanted to learn what she liked because I loved her. This is what happens with us, man. When we we fall in love with Jesus, it's like, I just want to know what he likes. Listen to what it goes on to say. Make it your aim to learn what pleases our Lord. Now, how many of you like the series we just came out of, Pleasing God? How good was that? That's what we were doing. We were just learning what God likes. Because it's not like we got to, it's because we get to. It's like, he's changed me. I just want to know what he likes. I want to live in the light. And then here's what it goes on to say, verse 11. Don't get involved with the fruitless works of darkness. Instead, expose them to the light of God. Now, can we go to back to, just back to Sardis for a second. Revelation 3.1. Remember, Jesus says, I know all the things you do. In other words, man, I know what you did yesterday. I know what you did last week. I know what you did last summer. 90s reference. And so, listen, we just have to know this. God cares about us, and he's not trying to expose our sin to embarrass us. He's trying to expose our sin for a very strategic reason. Here's why. Ephesians 5.13. When the light shines, it exposes even the dark and shadowy things, and here's the result, and turns them into pure reflections of the light. This is why they sing. Here's the theme. Awake! Awake! 
You sleeper, rise from your grave, and the anointed one will shine on you. He's not shining on you to make you feel bad about where you are. He's shining on you to show you a better way and to transform you so you can become more like him. This is what Jesus is saying. Live with the lights on. Let me ask you a question. What if somebody today just told you, hey, I bought you a brand new house. It's brand new. Every appliance is brand new. Brand new hardwood floors. It's in a beautiful neighborhood. It's yours. You don't even have to pay for it. But there's, there's no electricity in the house, and you'll never be able to live with electricity. You can't live with the lights on. Would we all agree that that would be kind of a bummer? Because it's like, I can't fully experience this house that I belong to, and it belongs to me, unless I have lights on, because that's how I see what I have. And I think so many Christians, man, they belong to this house of God and to the family of God, but they never turn the lights on. And they're going to make it to heaven, but I don't think they're going to get there looking more like Jesus, and they're missing out on the miracle that God has in store for them we got to live with the lights on. So here's the second one. If you want to stay wide awake, here's what you got to do. you got to stimulate your senses. Let me explain what I mean. When I want to wake up, I have a go-to. It's caffeine. Can anybody say amen in the house of the Lord? I, I love me some caffeine in various forms. I'm a coffee guy. I'm more like, hey, do you want some coffee with your creamer? You know, like I like it really sweet. And I'm not necessarily a coffee snob, but I mean, I have to have my coffee. Now, what is caffeine? It's a stimulant, right? It it stimulates your senses. It wakes you up. Now, I'm not giving you any news, but what's the opposite of caffeinated coffee? Decaffeinated coffee, right? I find this fascinating. The process by which they decaffeinate coffee is really simple. They actually just keep rinsing the coffee bean over and over again for 11 or 12 hours. They're watering down the coffee bean. And here's the crazy part. The end result is interesting because it looks like coffee. It even smells like coffee. It tastes like coffee, but there's one thing missing. It is stripped of its potency, and it can no longer stimulate your senses. And I just got to thinking, man, how many believers walk around just living out decaffeinated Christian lives? And it's like, man, they look like a Christian, and they go to church every so often, and they sing all the right songs, and they hang out with all the right people. They watch all the right shows, but there's just this potency missing from their life. It's like, man, I believe in God, but I deny the power thereof. I'm missing out on what God's called me to do. Because here's the scary thing. You can be deceived by darkness. I don't know if you've ever been in a dark room for long enough. What happens? Your eyes start to adjust. It's like, man, that darkness that once was so blinding where I couldn't even tell where I was. It's like, no, I just kind of get used to it. I just kind of get comfortable in my complacency. Can I tell you what should really scare us? Most believers, they beat themselves up because they're struggling with sin. Here's the moment we should really be afraid of, when we stop struggling altogether, when we stop seeing sin for what it is, when it stops bothering us. I just want to ask you, man, like, can, can you remember the moment when you first met God and that old life bothered you? It, it, was hard, it was hard to be okay with darkness anymore. You could just see where God had delivered you from and brought you into. And it was no comparison. I, I got to live in the light. But if we're not careful and we stay there long enough in that environment, we can just start to adjust to the darkness. Listen, Ephesians 4.17 says it this way. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Those are just people that are unsaved. In the futility of their thinking, They are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity. 
I don't know about you, but there's been some moments in my life where my heart loses its sensitivity to God. I just kind of get desensitized by the darkness around me. I just get watered down by the world around me. Just start thinking the way the world thinks instead of thinking the way God wants me to think. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Now listen, that's the problem, but here's what God wants to do. He wants to stimulate your spiritual senses. Let me prove it to you. Ezekiel eleven nineteen, And I will give them singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. What's he saying? Hey, no longer will you have your heart divided in these two directions. It's not fun living on the fence. It's downright uncomfortable. He, he wants you to have a singleness of heart. And that's my prayer for Believer's Church. He goes on to say this. I will take away the stony, calloused, stubborn heart and give them a tender, responsive heart. Now think about this. When somebody's in danger of dying and the paramedics show up, what do they say? They're unresponsive and they have to jolt them back to life. Listen, the minute that we start to feel like our hearts are so calloused and so hardened that we are not responsive and tender to the words of God, we're in danger spiritually of falling asleep. And what God's saying is, hey, you've got to be spiritually stimulating your senses. You've got to get into the right atmosphere and the right environment. You've got to get around the right people. And you've got to make sure that your eyes are not adjusting to the darkness. And here's a great start. I mean, the Bible, if we want to have life, it says the word of God is living and active in Hebrews. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides the soul and the spirit and sees through the heart of a man. You want your heart to be responsive? Get in the word of God. Start seeing what the word of God brings into your life. It infuses life into you. This is how we stay awake. So here's the final one. If we want to live wide awake, we've got to buddy up. We've got to buddy up. Here's what I mean by that. I don't know about you, but if I want to stay awake, I don't need to be around people who are tired. Because, like, I don't know about you, but I've just, I've found that yawning is contagious. Actually, let me prove it to you. Um, guys in the back, can you, can you bring the lights down in the house just a little bit? I don't know if you, can you give me, you got a music track you could play? Just whatever. Oh, that's nice. Now, um, I'm breaking every rule as a communicator right now because I am just begging you to fall asleep during my message. Can you, can you stay awake with me? Listen, I, I just want to show you a couple of pictures, and I just want to see how it makes you feel. Yeah, okay, okay. Babies are cute when they yawn. Um, adults, not so much. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just, man. Now, when I was preparing my message, I wasn't tired at all. There was just something in me that's like, I need to yawn right now. What is wrong with me? I need a nap. And um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I just thought this might be helpful. If we could just camp out in this moment for a second. Let me, let me just challenge you a little bit. I've watched so many well-meaning Christians that love Jesus and start out on fire for him wide awake. And, and they just slowly start to get desensitized by darkness. They start to get just lulled to sleep by the lies of the enemy. They're not lullabies. They're lullabies. And it's just, they don't even wear, they, they're not aware of it at all, but slowly but surely, they just, they start to buy into what these people around them are thinking. Let's talk about some, some lies for a second, maybe some spiritual yawns that people around us might have, like, oh, yeah, I know that that music used to bother me when I first met Jesus, and I know it's vulgar, and it has some lyrics that get my mind in a bad place, but Joe, honestly, I'm just listening for, I'm listening for the music. I just like the, the quality of the sound. It's, it's the purity of the sound, bro. You know, it's not that, I'm not listening to the lyrics, and before you know it, 
oh, just, just spiritually falling asleep. And maybe it's like with your standards and your convictions. Oh, yeah, I know I used to be passionate about, about being in church every week in God's house. And I know the Bible says don't forsake the gathering together of the saints. But, like, listen, I got my own church. I have church every week in my house. It's me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. And, and we're just worshiping God. And I can listen to Pastor Joe on TV. I'm good. And, oh, maybe it's, it's, with, it's with your beliefs. And it's like, man, can we honestly say that the word of God, this, this Bible that was written by all these people thousands of years ago, that somehow it has bearings on my life today, that I'm supposed to base my sexuality and my relationships on what it says the standard is? Oh, I, I don't know if I can do that. Before we know it, we're just lulled to sleep by the lies of the enemy. It's like rock by BC on the hilltop, because we're a city on a hill. When the lights lower, your passion will drop. How do you like that? I mean, it's just like, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can just get off of target. Let's, let's bring the lights up. Can you give yourself a hand? Because you stayed awake through the whole thing. You guys are awesome. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. Yawning is contagious, but I like this. Passion is contagious, too. And when you get around people that are excited about God, the exact opposite effect happens. You, you just start to be more excited about God. It's like, man, I can't wait till the next time I can get to God's house. Better is one day in God's house than a thousand elsewhere. And it's like, man, I, I, I just start to see my perspective change. Instead of my perspective being poisoned, it's like my perspective comes alive and I see things the right way. You know, I, I had this, this friend growing up. His name was Charles, and we're still buddies today. And, um, we had a couple other friends. We would get together for sleepovers. And I don't know if you can remember in the Wayback Machine to moments when you actually wanted less sleep than you do now. Like let you, Now it's like, God, give me more sleep. Then it's like, God, I, I don't want to sleep ever. And that's where we were. And you're not, you're not a solid teenage boy if you can't stay up at an all-nighter. And so we would get together and fueled by Mountain Dew and Twizzlers and Sour Patch Kids and a couple good movies and Nintendo 64. We were up all night. And so we made this pact with each other at the beginning of the night. We, we were like, listen... This only happens every so often. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And in the morning, my dad is going to pick me up. He's got to get me before he goes to work at 7 a.m., and I will be found faithful to the end. I will stay awake this entire night. And so here's what we did. We were like, promise me. Promise me if I start to fall asleep, you're going to wake me up. You're going to jar me out of my sleep. And so Charles was the best at this, and I don't know why, but Charles just loved this. And so all of us would start to kind of, you know, grow weary and drowsy. And all of a sudden, Charles would get in your face and be like, Joe, you can do it. Wake up, buddy. You can do it. And he'd just start, you know, getting Mountain Dew intravenously into my veins or whatever he had to do to wake me up. Eat these Sour Patch Kids right now, stat. And it was just like, man, when I felt like I was getting unresponsive, Charles would wake me up. And guess what? We, we were victorious because we were found faithful to the end. And listen, this is what Jesus is getting at. One day he's coming back for his church. And it's kind of like the virgins that fall asleep without oil in their lamp. They've lost their passion for his return and they're not ready. God wants us to be ready, not found sleeping, wide awake for his return. So listen, here's where I'd like to end. We're talking about light. And what I've noticed in churches all over America is this. I think people that grew up in well-intentioned churches and heard well-intentioned messages, well-meaning pastors, they kind of preached God's light this way. They, they would kind of paint the picture that it's like a spotlight. And it's almost like, hey, it's like an interrogation. Like, where were you last night? What were you doing? And just pointing out all your imperfections, all the problems in your life. Man, I don't think that it's a spotlight. I, 
I was thinking about this. If you're in a dark room, you've got a flashlight, and you're trying to help some of your friends get to where they need to go, the last thing you would do is take that flashlight and shine it into their eyes. Now, you wouldn't point to the person. You'd point to the path. You'd find the best way to get out, and you'd show them the best way. You know that that's how God works in our life? He's not just shining a light on the person or the problems or the imperfection. He's shining a light on the path. Because listen, God's word is a lamp to my feet, and it's a light to my path. It illuminates the way and shows me where to go. Let me tell you something. It's not, it's not just a spotlight. It's a searchlight. You know the picture that I have in my mind? One of those rescue choppers. You know when somebody's drowning in the ocean from a shipwreck or whatever? There's there just this vast ocean around them. Seems like it's hopeless. But somehow, this rescue chopper comes in and they have these huge lights. And they're just searching like everywhere they can to find this person in the wreckage. And then when they finally discover them, they throw that life raft their way. They have people that are safe, that come out of safety to rescue them and bring them to a safe place. People that are found in the light to go into darkness and pull them out. And I was just thinking, man, there was a moment in my life, and I bet you can relate, where I was lost. And I was just drowning in the sea of my sin. And God loved me enough not to send a spotlight, not to show me all the things that were wrong about me, He sent a searchlight, and he illuminated the way who was Jesus, and it showed me everything that was right about him. It changed me. You know, when I was a kid, my parents, because I was the oldest, they would wake me up first. And every now and then, if they could trust me with it, sometimes I'd let the power go to my head a little bit. But they'd say, hey, go wake up your brother and your sisters. I think that's what God wants to do here this morning at Believer's Church. I think there's some people that you're just sensing God's waking me up. It's time to live in the light. And he's saying, I want you to go wake some other people up. You ever woken out of a deep sleep from a dream, like the dream woke you up? I think God's going to put some dreams in your heart this morning. I think he's going to show you a picture of your future and what he could do if you would just surrender everything. And all you have to do is wake up and obey him. Wake up and live in the light. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I think some of us just need, need to hear it. Come out of our mouth. Just, just loud enough for you to hear it. Just say, I'm done with darkness. Say that. Say, I'm done with darkness. God, never let my eyes adjust again. Never let me get comfortable being away from you. Father, I thank you so much for every person here, and I ask that you would illuminate every area of their life where they need to see more clearly. Repeat this after me if you mean it. Say, dear God, thank you for Jesus. I want to live in the light. And I want to bring people into the light so they can see Jesus. Every head bowed, eyes still closed. Last service, there were some people, and you heard Pastor Joe last week, 15 people that made a decision to give their life to God. I mean, that's the most important decision you will ever make. You can't live in the light until you acknowledge that it is the light. Jesus actually said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to me except through me. No, no one comes to the Father except through me. And so in a world that's going to tell you there's all kinds of different ways to God, Jesus says, nope, I'm the way. And so some of you, this whole message, that's all you've been waiting to hear. How do I do this? How do I make it real with God? And listen, I'm not talking about going to church or being baptized or belonging to a religion. 
nothing wrong with going to a church or being baptized or, or being consistent. But listen, this, this is just about you and God. Have you made it real with Jesus? Have you said, Jesus, I belong to you and I'm putting you in the driver's seat. You take control. And so if that's you, Jesus made it pretty simple. He just said, hey, you just have to believe in your heart and say with your mouth that I'm Lord. You'll be saved. You'll be rescued from an eternity separated from me and you get to have eternity with me. And here's the coolest part. It's not just heaven one day. It's heaven here and now in your life because he wants to help you with every part of your life. Doesn't mean you'll be perfect. Just means you're gonna take a step. So listen, there are hundreds of people that have already made this decision. But if you haven't, I want to give you that opportunity. It's the most important decision you will ever make in all of eternity. So I'm going to pray this prayer, and I'm just going to ask you to repeat it after me. If you mean this with your heart, a miracle is going to take place. Just say this after me. Say, dear God, thank you for Jesus. I acknowledge that he is the way to the Father, the way to eternal life. Jesus I call you Savior. I call you Lord. Thank you for dying for me so I wouldn't have to, so I could live for you. And now I give you my life. I won't be perfect, but I'll take a step every day. I am a Christian, and I will follow you in your name. Amen. Now everyone's heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed. Listen, the Bible makes it really clear. Every time one person on planet Earth prays this prayer, Heaven goes crazy throwing a party. A one. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.